welcome to Camp Radio, a podcast of TN Baptist Camps, the official camps and conference centers of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Join us as we sit down with church leaders to discuss relevant trends and issues for today's church. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into a new episode of Camp Radio. Thank you for joining us on Camp Radio. My name is Kevin Peerage, and I'll be your host. Today we have with us uh, Marty Sh- uh, Shadowin. Is that correct? Shadowin. Shadowin. <laughs> we even practice and still can't get right. He's a pastor at First Baptist uh, Columbia, Tennessee, and uh, he's become a good friend. The last couple of years, uh, you've been on a couple of our off-the-grid project uh, backpacking trips. You know, when you're on the trail for three days, two nights, you get to know people and so uh, I've had the privilege to get to know Marty better and got to know his wife because they like to come here and and for a few days and just kind of relax and break away some and stay at the conference center but uh, Marty just tell us a little bit about yourself all right well um, definitely not much to tell I was raised in a very small town in south central Kentucky a little town called Science Hill it was about 500 people total and um was raised in church all of my life. My wife and I, we met when we were 18 years old at Laurel Lake Baptist Camp. She was there as a summer missionary. I was there for one week as a counselor for our association. Ten months later, we married, um, and then everything's history from there. Wow. So you you only got to know her for one week, and then you went home, and I guess you stayed in contact. Right. Did she live close by? No, an hour and a half away. Did you go see her? All the time. <laughs> my wife and I have driven in our dating, in our marriage. We have put so many miles on the road. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that's funny. So it's almost high school sweethearts, but you didn't go to high school with each other. We did not. No, yeah, you were young. Correct. Yes. Yeah. We got married at age 19, and by 21, we had our first child. Wow. So now we've got three children. All of them are grown. We have uh, four grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, three boys that live in Kentucky, and our first granddaughter who lives in Harriman, Tennessee now. Oh, yeah. Well, Harriman's close. Closer. Closer. They're all still three to three and a half hours away from us. Right, right. Well, neat. Um, and you have, I'm sure you have, well, I know you have lots of hobbies. Well, a few things. Yeah. yeah. We love to hike, and we love to bike now. We've started biking some. Last year, we went up into uh, Michigan. And did a 200-mile bike ride up there wow. for vacation. And this year we plan on going to Ohio and doing a similar one. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So. Yeah, that sounds fun. I need to go vacation with you guys yeah. if I already have time off. Yeah, <laughs> that's the hard part. <laughs> that is the hard part. Well, <clears throat> I wanted to talk a little bit about just your journey. I know that uh, on the trail we've talked a lot about, you know, all the pastors talk about just things and and, and uh, where they have been, where they're going, and stuff like that. I know that you uh, you kind of shared a little bit about we as we sit around the campfire, you know, right. That's when we talk about uh, where we've been at places. And you you had said that you had been at were at church, begin your ministry at a church, but not necessarily as a pastor. Correct. You, as a church member. As a church member. Right. So tell a little bit, little bit about that story. Going back just a little bit further, when I was about um, 16, 17 years old, I felt called into ministry, but I did not want to be a pastor. Hmm. So I tried to discover something that I might be willing to do. Yeah. So I said Christian uh, writing. I would be a Christian journalist. Yeah. So I started studying English and things. 
once my wife and I met, we got married. It didn't take long before I dropped out of college mm-hmm. and went into the family business for about yeah. 10 years. So around age 30, that's when my wife and I both knew that it was time for me to answer that call yeah. into, into pastoring of right. all things. So family business was? Uh, greenhouses and florists, cor- oh. horticultural oh. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. to this day, I still love plants, flowers, all kinds of things like that. That's neat. Yeah. But around age 30, um, I actually felt called into ministry, much like um, we see Henry Blackaby's Experiencing Mm -hmm. God, all of the different things that you see that sort of helps you understand God's will. We were seeing all those things uh, fall into place. Yeah. So I answered the call, went away to school at Campbellsville University, finished there. Uh, went on over to Southeastern Seminary to begin my master's mm-hmm. and um, just couldn't find a ministry place there. Mm-hmm. So we came back home, um, started going to church where w- we had started raising our children, which was mm-hmm. Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. The pastor was gone, so they asked me to be the interim, mm-hmm. served as interim for about nine months. They had asked for me to put a resume in, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't because it was the church where we had been raising our children. Right. I wanted them to know if they wanted me as pastor, God was moving them. It mm-hmm. wasn't just a matter of convenience. Right. So after about nine months, I finally felt like the Lord said it's time. Yeah. So I accepted that call there. So at that time, you said that you, you were going into ministry, but you didn't want to pastor. So when you were at that church, you came back home. Did, were you thinking about pastor at that point? Oh, no, this is 10 years later. Oh, 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. After I'd spent 10 years in the family business. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So by the time I left for Campbellsville and then Southeastern, I knew the Lord was saying pastoring, whether oh, yeah. you want to or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? I mean, uh, so you, you, uh, not many pa- pastors end up pastoring their home church. Right. I mean, I'm sure you had a lot of little ladies that says, yeah, uh, hi, son. And, yeah. and so they probably said, I saw you when you were little and just a youth and so proud of you. And I'm sure you've heard all that, right? Well, it wasn't actually my childhood church. Mm-hmm. It was the church we raised our, Your started children. raising our children. Okay. In. Yeah. But my parents did go there. My great aunt was a member there. Oh, yeah. So I did even have family connections and yeah. everything there. Which probably contributed to what I call that uh, meeting other people's expectations. Hmm. That was probably the issue that I had there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was burning the candle at both ends for the first five years. Yeah. The church had grown probably about 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, but there came a point where basically I knew I needed more help. Mm-hmm. And uh, the relationships there were so strong basically like the uh, personnel team was saying but we want you in the pulpit all the time Mm. which was a compliment yeah but i was at that stage of burnout right so uh it didn't take me long till i was burnt out burning the candle both ends so i I resigned Mm. and i was going to go actually back into the family business Mm -hmm. and uh just do part-time somewhere around that area so the church said we will keep you part-time in education and in missions, hmm. and then we will look for another preaching pastor. Right. Um, so I stayed another six years. So that was 11 years on staff at that church, and we had been there 10 years previously. So that oh. was 21 years at wow. the same church. Wow. 
So what was that like? Did you feel kind of torn? I mean, obviously you poured all of yourself, all of your life into that first, especially that first five years. And to give that over to someone, I mean, I'm sure you probably had some ex- expectations yourself thinking, I wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> or or did you feel very comfortable backing off? I felt very comfortable backing off. Uh, I had a childhood friend who was actually the music minister, mm-hmm. and he continued on as the music minister. Yeah. And I told him when I got to the point where I disagreed with a new pastor coming in, mm-hmm. I would know it's time for me to leave. Mm-hmm. And about six years later, that time came. Yeah. And that was when I uh, left that church and then moved to Tennessee yeah. where I started pastoring at First Baptist Rockwood. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Rockwood, now, well, in comparison, Rockwood's not a big town either. No. No. It was uh, about a third the size of Somerset where yeah. I was pastoring. Of course, you're not too far from, I can remember now, maybe an hour from Knoxville. About 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you had Oak Ridge. Correct. Some of those areas. But Rockwood, I guess their community, I don't know a whole lot about Rockwood other than uh, that it seems to be a very small, uh, net, a close-knit community. Is that true? Yeah. About 5,000 people live mm-hmm. in Rockwood. Mm-hmm. But then you also have Harriman and Kingston, yes. which each of those towns are about 5,000 mm-hmm. each. And they share stores commercially. Yeah. So it's like a tri-city environment, mm-hmm. but their school system, although it's one county school system, they still have their local high schools. Right. So there was a lot of that competitiveness between towns. Yeah. So even though I came in thinking this is a tri-city environment, mm-hmm. they didn't see it as a tri-city environment right. at all. So how did that affect your ministry? It You didn't have a whole lot of people coming from the other two cities mm-hmm. into yours, and, and people in Rockwood didn't travel over to Kingston or Harriman a whole lot. Which was only a few miles apart, right? The, uh, 10 miles, 11 miles. There's times I would run from one town yeah. to the other just exercising. So it was close enough to just yeah. to even run the distance. Mm. But uh, Now, there was some crossing, yeah. but just not a whole lot of crossing that right. would occur. So you did your ministry in your town, mm-hmm. even though you all shared the county. Yeah. It, you didn't have that county-wide kind of feel. Right. So, yeah. And that was different from where I came because in Pulaski County in, in Kentucky, um, we were pulling people from all different communities mm-hmm. coming into the church that I was pastoring there. Right. So it was different. And there was a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, the culture was very different. But that was very good for me because— mm-hmm. It pushed me into areas I'd never been, and it took me probably a couple of years to begin to adjust the ministry models. Mm -hmm. For instance, uh, in Somerset, in Kentucky, we were able to do things like faith, Mm -hmm. where you would go to a stranger's door, knock on the door. They would invite you in to talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, In almost nine years in Rockwood, I probably was invited into two or three homes, Mm -hmm. Uh, when they didn't know who you were. Right. Very much more a closed community Mm -hmm. than the community I came from in Somerset. So we had to change our ministry patterns to uh, meet those physical needs to get the open door to share with them. Right. And uh, so there was a learning curve there, but that was good for me. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that there are some pastors listening right now thinking, we experience that same thing, but how do you do that? I mean, how do you change that pattern? 
a lot of prayer and a lot of experimentation. Yeah. Um, for instance, in Rockwood, um, it, it's a somewhat poor community, mm-hmm. uh, very, um, very high, like uh, the lunch program in the elementary mm-hmm. school. Yeah. I have heard that in a lot of ways the um, the elementary school, like two-thirds of the students don't even live with their biological family mm-hmm. or yeah. parents. They yeah. live maybe with grandparents or aunts, uncles. Right. Um, so we just experimented. We did a lot of things in the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, a new youth minister come in who did a great job penetrating all the school systems. Mm-hmm. He began uh, what's called Bible release time, mm-hmm. which he informed me and taught me this is a state law in Tennessee mm-hmm. that uh, allows churches to take students out during the school day and mm-hmm. give them like one hour of education. And right. By the time I left there, um, we were doing, I don't know, 150 to 175 students every month. Wow. And that was beginning to start into the junior high and the high school as well. Yeah, that's so good. So we, we were penetrating that way. We were also using our facilities for free community meals. Mm-hmm. Being downtown, there was a lot of poverty there. Right. And we began to build relationships with the homeless. We began to build relationships with those who previously had seen the church, you know, the First Baptist Church mm-hmm. as uh, where the rich people go. And uh, although it took a while to start getting them to migrate from the gymnasium where we did our meals on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, mm-hmm. um, they eventually, many people did start migrating across to Sunday morning worship. Mm-hmm. But even before then, our church members who worked in the meal ministries, they would be at Walmart and places and they would start talking to folks yeah. who were coming to our free community meals. Hmm. And uh, so we would have... We would have sometimes probably maybe a hundred people at the meals who didn't come on Sunday mornings. Wow. But they claimed First Baptist to be their church. Yeah. Because we did a worship service during the meal hmm. with music, right. with preaching, children's uh, time. So yeah, um, it was totally unplanned. It just sort of morphed. Right. And uh, yeah. that's why I say a lot of prayer. And a lot of experimentation. Yeah. Well, I think that's excellent. And, and I think that uh, you have to be real creative because each community is different. Very much. And uh, so so during that time, you were there for nine years. Right. And you were there through COVID. Yes. So coming before COVID and coming out of COVID, what kind of, with that those dynamics, what kind of changes took place? Right. So during covid we of course we had to shut down all of our mules mm-hmm. and like most churches there was short periods of time we actually had to shut down you know on sunday mornings we we had a significant senior adult presence mm-hmm. in that church so when they were much slower to come back and mm-hmm. several even by the time i left and went to uh, columbia not too long ago still had not come back mm-hmm. but what we saw during the mules were that um, you you pretty much had a lot of the people who had been coming to the meals who had left Rockwood. Mm. So we started almost fresh again. Mm. And uh, so we went from two free meals a week to one mm-hmm. and just started rebuilding those relationships. And there were a lot of new folks coming and, and a handful of the older folks who were coming. Right, right. So after nine years, God led you to... It was time to leave. Yes, and very difficult time because of so many 
love relationships. Yeah. 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 So now you're a First Baptist. So what's the culture like? Is it different than... You, you, totally it, different than <laughs> where I was at First Baptist Rockwood. First Baptist Columbia is on the outskirts of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's in a location where the people that were similar to who we were ministering to in Rockwood, mm-hmm. they can't reach the facilities in Columbia. Mm-hmm. So it's a much more... Um, financially middle class to upper middle class environment Mm -hmm. so it's not a needs-based ministry Mm -hmm. and of course i've only been there about seven months but really what it is is a relationship-based ministry yeah um the church several people have indicated that it had become very much a sunday morning Mm -hmm. primary i won't say sunday morning only but a sunday morning primary church right um so what we are doing is that we are creating more and more venues where the people can interact with one another and build meaningful relationships outside of the Sunday morning worship context. Well, that's neat. How you do, are you? Uh, is this more like a cell group type things? How how are you building those outside? The the small group structure at First Baptist Columbia was strong, so that that doesn't need to be tweaked or anything. Mm-hmm. It just needs to be continued. Yeah. Um, the church before COVID had been doing Wednesday night meals and they had stopped and had not mm. started back again. Yeah. Uh, there was pretty much almost nothing other than administrative teams meeting on Sunday nights. Mm. So what we've done is we have uh, recently gotten the Wednesday night meals started mm. again during the meal time. Then of course this is sort of coming from my Rockwood experience. Right. We actually do about a 15 minute devotion time at the end of the meal because after the meal, we break out where the choir goes to the choir room for rehearsals. I do a pastor study. There's some other small groups. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing is we do about a 15-minute devotion during mm-hmm. the meal in which we are watching a children's um, three- to four-minute lesson, video lesson mm-hmm. that is online. Yeah. And then we just talk about it as a group. Mm-hmm. And um, that is helping us do two things one as a group we are getting to know each other as we respond to questions related to the video message and number two it's teaching our younger families here are some materials that are free online Mm. that you can use in your home for your family worship time and things like that so we're trying to kill two birds with one stone with that yeah well that's neat um, I think that's a great idea. A lot of churches, not all, but a lot of churches do do meals on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, of course, COVID's kind of changed everything. Some will, will have, uh, if they're doing meals, they'll do the more just what you said. They'll have pastor have a Bible study and choir goes to their place and the youth will do their thing. But I like that you're, you've integrated this for those young families who come in. And because uh, the... the uh, you know, Wednesday meals, you don't make money off Wednesday meals and you, you don't, you probably don't, don't even, the, the, what they pay doesn't pay for it. You usually budget it, but it helps provide those families a place that they can afford, that they could change, could feed their family. And so you have them there together as a family, other families together. So just that whole time of communication and getting to know, it, it's a, it's a great uh, thing, especially when you're doing something like you're doing, uh, a teaching time during that time. I think that's a great idea. Right. Awesome. 
and then on Sunday nights, what we're doing is it's something new. Um, it's what I call it, just a life acrostic where each letter is representing a different activity. Mm-hmm. And so each Sunday night of the month, we will, um, we will do something different from mm-hmm. week to week because I just find people's attention spans are short. Yeah. And, um, so if they've got something different, it's more of an a la carte menu. Mm-hmm. Some people will come this week for this activity, but they won't come the next week. And, mm-hmm. and that's okay. So like the first Sunday night, and, and all of this is not implemented yet. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I've only been there about seven months. Right. We're about half implemented on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. But the first Sunday night is L for learning. So mm-hmm. we do actually more like a book club environment. Mm-hmm where the pastors or lay leaders will select a book that was meaningful for them that is not a Bible study. Mm-hmm. Because so many of us have been impacted by certain books and authors, but we usually don't have a venue where we can, you know, share that. Right. So that's what the first Sunday night of the month is. It's mm-hmm. more of a book club environment. Yeah. The second Sunday night is I for interceding, and this is when we do ministry with our shut-ins, our home are hospitalized in our long-term absentees. Yeah. Uh, the third Sunday night of the month is F, which is fellowship. So mm-hmm. we have a church-wide fellowship once a month mm-hmm. on that third Sunday night. Yeah. And then the fourth one is E for engagement. That's when we go out basically into the communities, just door to door, giving them a small gift and inviting people to the church. Yeah. And uh, so every week when, when it's fully implemented, every week is a different activity. That's good. Yeah. That's and, good. So how does uh, uh, going door to door that you've experienced so far with your your group have in your community have they people received that well? Uh, we've just started now that the weather is warm. Mm-hmm. Um, we had not done it in the winter when mm-hmm. I was there because of short days and sure. cold temperatures. Um, but we we were running I don't know forty fifty people going out mm-hmm. all different ages from children to senior adults. Yeah. And everybody that I've been talking to say as when we're going to the door to give them a gift Mm -hmm. and to give them an invitation to church, that that is well received. Mm -hmm. Uh, We will be implementing the prayer ministry in in that as well by simply asking in the future, is there anything we can pray for your family about? And of course, the goal is looking for gospel conversations. And I just tell people, let it be natural. Mm -hmm. Uh, it seems like, especially the younger generation, mm-hmm. um, they're open to doing something like that. But if they have to have this hard, memorized gospel presentation that they are almost feel forced to share with every person at the door, right. they seem to be more resistant to that. Mm-hmm. So this is just trying to build that uh, interaction with our community, yeah. looking for those gospel conversations. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, um I know you're you're here to get away for a little bit, you and your wife, and and you've got to hopefully relax. You, you've only been here a couple of days. What days is well, a couple of days? So yep. you got the rest of the week, so that's right. good. Now that you got it all planned out, so uh, when you get those times away, I mean, how often are you able? Typically, in the past, that you try to spend some time. I know you have vacation time. Do you do you typically get all your vacation time in? Do you make yourself do that? And how do you break away? Yes. Um, you know, years ago, I heard an elderly minister say, you know, well, I haven't had vacation in 10 years. Mm-hmm. I came home and told my wife and she said, well, I'm sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and having experienced what I think is burnout. Yeah. Um, 
I've learned the importance of taking breaks. Mm -hmm. And uh, also for me and my wife, taking breaks together. Mm -hmm. I really don't have hobbies outside of my relationship with my wife. You know, some guys fish, some guys hunt, some guys golf or whatever. I don't do any of those hobbies that I'm away from my wife. I'm away from her enough in ministry. Yeah. So when I'm with her, I'm with her. So that's why we hike together. Mm -hmm. We bike together. And um, we we just find those things that we can do together. And we, through the years, have developed that kind of marriage relationship where we do our hobbies together. That's good. So when that time you were talking about that period of after those first five years, you were at at burnout time trying to recover, um, even though you kind of stepped back in a part-time basis, how long did it take you to really kind of feel like that you had had recovered from that? I mean, I was on a part-time basis for six years. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't really know that there was a time in that six years when I could say, oh, I feel recovered. Mm-hmm. It, it really was. There came a time after six years when my wife and I both knew it's time to get back into full-time ministry. Yeah. So maybe that was recovery time or maybe it happened beforehand. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. But we both knew together it was yeah. time to step back out of the family business and back into full-time ministry. Yeah. I think, and the reason I asked this, and in, in I was anticipating you would answer the way you did, is that, as you said, you were talking about how your wife, you depend so much on your wife, and you you all, sounds like you all work together through all the things, especially with the pressure you have in the ministry as a pastor, and and you're, 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 you're in this ministry together. Oh, yes. Yeah. We... We don't see my pastorate as a job. Mm. We see it as our family lifestyle. Mm. Even when we were young in the ministry, um, our kids went with us Mm. to the different places. And I I know every child is different, but we, at least at this point in our lives, have not had our children rebel against. Yeah. Um, you know, church and church life because of bad experiences. Mm-hmm. And we've had some bad experiences through the years, but they, I think one of the important things were all the way through ministry, mm-hmm. we just took our kids with us. Mm-hmm. Now, that meant sometimes we didn't get them in bed at certain hours right. and things like that, but we felt like that they need to see this is just a pastor's life. Right. And we do pastoring in a sense together yeah. as a family. Yeah. And Becky and I've always been that way, and even to this day. Yeah. Um, I don't see forty hours a week. I don't. I mean, I know if I counted it up, I would be working far more than forty hours a week. Right. But because it is part of our life, we've got friends and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just don't even count hours. Right. It just is built into what we do. Yeah. And I do think probably one of my concerns with what I'm seeing in younger ministers mm-hmm. is that they are seeing ministry as a job mm-hmm. and they, it's almost like they segregate. And I know I'm stereotyping here, but mm-hmm. it's almost like they segregate, segregate their ministry from their family mm-hmm. instead of incorporating their family into right. their ministry. Right. And I think that's a mistake. And of course I think every generation of pastors have their blind spots mm-hmm. and I know I had mine and I burned out with it. Yeah. Um, but hopefully we should learn from those who've gone on before us right. and, and 
then we'll have some other blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. And, and, uh, you know, what I, I've been doing camp ministry for well over 30 years and, and, uh, it's just a life. It's your life. You just, you just live it. Your family lives it. There's no real separation. Um, it, 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 it ends up mounting a lot of hours, has a lot of flexibility. And when your kids say, I love being at camp. Yeah. That means something. Absolutely. You know? it, it means. Uh, you did something right. I did, must have done something <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And so they don't see it all as, in my eyes, as, as a, uh, you know, work or something that I dread every day. But they see it as I love it. And they see it impacting uh, people for Christ. So that's, that's you know, something that I, not intentional, but it just kind of happened. It's, right. So, yeah, so I appreciate that. So, well, Marty, I, I appreciate you taking a few minutes and you, you don't, I didn't, I didn't want you to come here and talk about church when you need to not think about things and church and, and things you have to do. But, um, I think that the, our listeners, it would be important for them to hear, be able to connect with you and, and especially your journey, cause your journey's unique like everyone else's, but there's some other people out there that some guys have probably have experienced the same thing that you did. And even the burnout, and a lot of people have, mm-hmm. and how you overcame that, and how God continues to use you in a greater way, uh, especially as you go a lot further into this journey. So I appreciate you being here and talking with me. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, for those who are listening to us right now, I want to thank you for taking a few minutes. And if you're listening to us on iTunes or Spotify, please leave a comment or just follow us. Uh, so that would help others to listen to this great resource. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions for Marty or what we do at TM Baptist Camps, please send us an email at carsonpodcast at tmbaptist.org. Until next time, I hope that you look for opportunities to start a conversation about Christ with someone you know. Thank you for listening to Camp Radio, a podcast of TN Baptist Camps. The ministries of Carson Springs and Linden Valley are supported through the cooperative program and gifts received through the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. For more information, visit tnbaptistcamps.org or you can email us at carsonpodcast at tnbaptist.org.